Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where inspiring stories are brought to life. This podcast is made possible by Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. I'm your host, Dr. Drew Flam. This is the Grace Story Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Pastor Larry McCall. He served as pastor of Christ Covenant Church in Winona Lake, Indiana since 1981. In addition to pastoring, he enjoys speaking at retreats and conferences. He has written a number of articles and is author of three books, Walking Like Jesus Did, Loving Your Wife as Christ Loved the Church, and most recently, Grandparenting with Grace. Pastor Larry received his BA in New Testament Greek in 1976 and MDiv in 1979 from Grace College and Grace Theological Seminary. He went on to complete his Doctor of Ministry at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Larry's aspirations is to be a useful tool in the Lord's hand, spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ through his life, teaching, and writing. When Pastor Larry gets time to relax, he enjoys spending time with his wife, Gladine, being with his kids and grandkids, reading books on history, and paddling around on his kayak. Pastor Larry, thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Drew. I uh, This past summer, speaking of being on the water, uh, went to a water ski show, and you showed up at that same water ski show um, with a, a gaggle of kids in hand, <laughs> all, all wearing matching T-shirts, yes. teenagers to toddlers, um, and I learned you were doing some sort of uh, a grandparenting camp. Um, and we're going to get more into grandparenting, but tell me about grandparenting camp and how can I get my kids to go to my parents' house for grandparenting <laughs> camp? Well, you, you need to talk to them, Drew. But yeah, for the last three summers, Gladine and I have taken five days out of our summer and we invite all of our older grandkids. There's a baby that hasn't been involved yet, but the six older ones come for five days. They stay at our home and we have it planned out well in advance. We call Grand Camp, and the grandkids look forward to it so much that we dare not not do it. Um, <laughs> but we always have a theme. Uh, this past summer, when you saw us, our theme was walking like Jesus did. And so we had devotionals, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and bedtime, just short devotionals, five, ten minutes, on the character of Christ and how that should be impacting our lives uh, and at their season of life. But then we do lots of fun stuff, too. We uh, you know, play in the backyard, do an obstacle course. We eat ice cream, but only once a day. Um, <laughs> you know, go out to see different things in the community. It's a great time. And at the end of those five days, we have, you know, happy grandkids, happy grandparents, and tired grandparents. Uh, and the parents have enjoyed that time for us having the kids, too. I was going to say, that's got to be a tiring time. Hopefully you have a little leftover ice cream for your uh, R&R post-grand camp. That yeah. sounds like a lot of fun. So it if is. you want to invite me next summer, um, you know, I can I can block it out on my, on my calendar. Well, we'll show you how to do it. And then 20 <laughs> years from now, when your boys are parents, you and Stephanie can do it. We want to get into your book, um, Grandparenting with Grace. But uh, I want to back up a little bit and talk about just where you're from and, yeah. and how you and Gladine got to Grace College just a, a few years ago. Yeah, th a few years ago. Thank <laughs> you so much. That's kind of you to say it that way. Uh, Gladine and I both grew up in the small coal mining community of Catanning, Pennsylvania. And um, neither of us were from real academic families. Uh, we were all in always encouraged to learn and to read, but none of our parents went to college. 
And uh, I love to tell the story that when I was about 16, I said to my dad, uh, Dad, I, I want to go to college. And, and he said, well, I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to kind of find my way. And uh, I knew a couple people that had come to Grace, uh, Terry White being one of them. He was from our home church. And then my older sister was here for part of her college career. And so I applied to Grace College. That was the only school I applied to. And uh, I came in 1972 and decided rather quickly to major in Greek because I wanted to learn the Bible, especially the New Testament. And then my wife, Gladine, we were high school sweethearts. Uh, she's a year younger. I know she looks a lot younger, but she's one year younger than I. And uh, she came out the following year. And so we enjoyed our years of grace. Those were good years. You, uh, you ended up then going into pastoral ministry. Was that your intention in studying Greek to eventually move towards the pastorate? Yeah. Yeah, I think since I was about 16 or 17 years old, not every man experiences this who are pastors, but I had a definite inward sense, inward call, if you want to refer to it as that, that the Lord wanted me involved in pastoral ministry. So from the time I was in my late teens, that's the direction I was heading. And uh, yeah, we came to Grace. And uh, then, interestingly, I'd already decided by my middle year of seminary that I wanted to do what today would be called a pastoral internship. Hmm. They didn't call them anything back then because guys didn't normally do that. And, uh, but I found a little Reformed Baptist church in Pennsylvania, not too far from where we grew up, a couple hours away, that was willing to take me in for two years and try to knock off some of the rough edges. <laughs> And uh, so we were there during that time, and it was a wonderful experience learning more practically how to do ministry, uh, having gotten the academic training here, but needing that pastoral application. And while we were there, I got a phone call from a friend of mine here at Winona Lake that said, we're seeing the Lord direct us to start this new church. Uh, we're looking for a pastor. We can't pay you anything, but would you come? And so two years after seminary graduation, 1981, we moved back to Winona Lake, Indiana. Got a job at night at Owens Supermarket, unloading trucks, stocking shelves, and started pastoring this little group of people. And about a third of the early church, the church grew to about 100 people within that first year, about a third of them were associated with grace. Hmm. It was exciting. That's neat. And, and you've sensed multiple locations yeah. and... Um, continued growth, and um, now Christ Covenant Church is just, you know, a hop, skip, and a jump down the street from, from Grace College. Um, what have you seen from the college uh, and seminary over the years? How, how has it changed from your perspective being next-door neighbors yeah. um, over the last close to 40 years? I was talking to Dr. Kata within the last year, and I said, you know, Bill, a lot of times when people our age, he and I are similar in age, I said when a lot of people our age refer back to their college career and we say about the current situation, well, it's not like it was when I was a student. <laughs> I said, Bill, I can say that. And what I mean is it's better now. <laughs> I'm so excited to see what the Lord's done with great schools in the last 40 years. Uh, it's been a delight to be in here in the community almost that entire time since I was here as a student in the 70s. And just seeing how the Lord's at work in the lives of the faculty, the administration, the students, um, I'm excited to see 
not only people being taught the Word of God, students being taught the Word of God, but there seems to be a lot more emphasis today than there was 40-plus years ago on the difference that should make in daily life, the difference that should make in local churches. And so I'm excited to see what God's doing. I, my kids, my kids-in-law are all Grace alum. Uh, now our grandchildren are talking about coming to Grace, so uh, we're, we're very pro-Grace. Send them our way. Send them we our will. way. We'll we take will. them. Uh, you, um, pastored for a long time and then, and then started writing some books and teaching a little bit more broadly. And, uh, was that also, also something you saw yourself doing in those early days, becoming an author and a, and a speaker? Um, or how did God call you into um, that vein of ministry? Well, thanks for asking, Drew. Um, no, I never, when I was a young man, I never anticipated necessarily being an author. I certainly enjoyed reading. I enjoyed books. But back oh, somewhere between 15 and 20 years ago, Jerry Bridges, who was one of my mentors, was at our home. And Jerry said to me in our dining room one, one evening, he said, Larry, you really need to write. And he had heard me speak, and he said, if you write, you'll be able to minister to people you never meet. You'll be able to impact places you never go. And he was encouraging me to broaden my ministry by writing. And so he was very kind to kind of launch me in that direction. So when Walking Like Jesus did came out 15 years ago, he wrote the foreword. And people saw that book and said, I don't know who this Larry McCall guy is, but Jerry Bridges, maybe I'll pick that up because his name's on the front too. And so that kind of launched me in a direction that I had not anticipated as a young man. Uh, my first book came out when I was about 50. So, you know, this wasn't something that I started as a young man. Wow. And you've written two subsequent books, and the most recent being Grandparenting with Grace, Living the Gospel with the Next Generation. So um, let me first ask this question. Uh, why did you write this book? <laughs> that is an excellent question, my friend. Um, four or five years ago, Gabe Tribbett, who's on staff here at the seminary, was in charge of what we call life education classes at Christ's Covenant Church, or I think a lot of Grace Brethren churches refer to them as ABF, same mm -hmm. concept. Uh, Gabe came to my wife and me and said, would you two be willing to lead a class on biblical grandparenting? And we looked at each other, and we looked at Gabe, and the first thought that came to my mind was, what? <laughs> We'd never heard of a class on grandparenting. We'd never been in a class on grandparenting. But at that point, we had six grandkids, and we loved being grandparents. And so we told Gabe yes. And so having committed without any sort of reservoir to draw from, uh, we began to dig in, began to dig into the Bible. What does the Bible teach about grandparenting? And if you do a search, you're only going to come up with a couple of hits on the word grandparent or grandmother or something like that. But if you look for phrases like generation, to tell the next generation, sons and sons, sons, the Bible actually has a lot on grandparenting. And so we started researching the Bible to teach this class, and then I started looking for books. And you can do your own search. Do your own search on Amazon and books on biblical grandparenting. And what we discovered was there are mountains of books on parenting and on marriage, but almost none on grandparenting. 
And the few that are out there are primarily what I call anecdotal, uh, people telling their stories. You know, I taught my grandson how to fish. You should teach your grandson how to fish, hmm. which is fine, but could you give us some Bible? And I, we did find a handful of books, literally a handful of books on biblical grandparenting that had already been written five years ago. Um, during the course of that class, we had several people, I had several people come to me individually and say, Larry, you really need to write on this subject. There needs to be more on this. And so uh, we worked on this manuscript. Uh, New Growth Press was interested in it. And uh, they've since obviously published it. It came out last August. And since then, on that whole process of writing that book, Drew, we discovered several other people who share our passion to help equip Christian grandparents in the ministry of grandparenting. And so there's this nascent, this budding Christian grandparenting movement, and Gladine and I have become part of that. And even last week, we're in California for three or four days, meeting with 15 or 20 other church leaders to pray and to plan how can we impact churches across America, across North America, to equip grandparents in the ministry of grandparenting? So I uh, didn't see this coming. Five years ago, if you had asked me, are you going to write and speak on grandparenting, I would have looked at you like, where'd you get that idea? But it's becoming a dominant part of our lives and ministry in the last year or two. Why do you think there is a growing movement of interest mm-hmm. in uh, biblical grandparenting or in an emphasis in grandparenting that maybe didn't exist or didn't exist to as great of an extent mm-hmm. previously. Yeah, how the Lord has worked that providentially is still a bit of a mystery to me, but I think part of it is my generation, uh, baby boomers, you know, the great majority of us are moving into our grandparenting years and um, love being grandparents but among evangelicals, you know, what are we supposed to do with this? That conference we were at in California last week, uh, the leader of that, a guy named, a guy named Larry Fowler, uh, said that there are about 30 million professing Christian grandparents wow. in North America. Not just grandparents, professing Christian grandparents, 30 million. And statistically, as far as we can tell, fewer, less than 1% have had any training, any biblical training in the ministry of grandparenting. So do your math. Now we're talking 30 million Christian grandparents. The average number of grandchildren is about four. And so you do your math and you start realizing there are tens of millions of grandchildren out there who have Christian grandparents, and yet the grandparents are not intentionally building into them God's truth, God's gospel. And so there's a huge need. And I think as one book here, another book there, a conference here, a conference there, is out there, some more social media stuff, more and more grandparents are becoming aware that, hey, this is something I never thought about. So it's growing, and we prayed last week when we were together in California that the Lord would start a revival Hmm. among Christian grandparents. We were praying big prayers. That's great. Okay, I I must admit something, Pastor Larry. I've not read your book. Um, I'm hoping not to be a grandparent anytime soon. Um, But I've bought a couple copies um, and given them to both sets of parents. Yes, thank you. Um, And uh, and they have appreciated them. But give us a couple of of highlights of biblical concepts Mm. um, that you discuss in the book um, about grandparenting with grace. Yes, thank you. 
Obviously, we grandparents can't give grace to our grandkids. So when you hear that title, Grandparenting with Grace, we, we're not the dispensers of grace. Uh, only God can come and change a young child's heart or a teenager's heart. But the gospel should shape our lives as Christians. And some of us Christians are grandparents. So the gospel should be shaping our lives to such an extent that the coming generations, our kids, our grandkids, and for some, great-grandkids, they should be able to look at us and say, that's what the gospel does in daily life in an individual. And and to see the gospel shaping Gladine's in my life as a grandfather and a grandmother to the point that the kids watch us in life and they begin to see this stuff about how Jesus changes people, it makes a practical, a functional difference in daily life. Papa lives this way because of Christ. Grandma lives this way because of Christ. So it not only shapes our lives, but it shapes what we talk about. And so when we're with our grandkids, there's an intentionality uh, to point them to Christ. And it's not all we talk about, but it underlies all we talk about. And there are intentional times when we talk to the grandkids about their hearts. But then, too, the gospel shapes our relationships. And so some families, we're not thankfully in this group, but um, some families have a lot of tension. Okay, well, how does the gospel come to bear in living in a family that's full of tension? Christ is patient with us. Can I be patient with my son, my daughter-in-law? Can I be patient with that wayward grandchild? Um, Why should I forgive that family member who hurt me? And you begin to see the gospel shapes not only how we live individually and what we talk about, but even our relationships intergenerationally. Uh, so when we talk about grandparenting with grace, it's a pretty, even though it's a short book, it covers a lot of ground. It covers those issues that every grandparent lives with. Do these concepts that you're talking about apply more broadly? I think of those who are listening who may not be grandparents or may never be grandparents, but they're an aunt, an Mm -hmm. uncle, a cousin, a brother, a sister. Um, Is there there broader concepts about what it means to be a family member um, and living with grace? Yes. I think that the principles that we write about in Grandparenting with Grace should impact people that aren't grandparents yet. And we've had people come to us. So I should buy the book and read it is what you're saying. Okay, all right. Yeah, tell Stephanie to put it on your (laughs) wish list. Um, I think people that read the book that are maybe parents, like you and your wife, your three boys, you you see principles in there that are transferable Hmm. transgenerationally. And uh, it should impact that way. And Drew, one of my passions... Um, I've given most of my adult life to pastoral ministry, and I, I've loved being a pastor most of the time. <laughs> but I see how churches, local churches, need to be challenged to equip grandparents in the ministry of grandparenting. Think about churches that have a family life division. What's that mean in most churches? It means, well, we provide equipping, we provide training and parenting and in marriage. Praise God. Excuse me, there's at least one more generation you haven't talked about yet. Are you equipping the grandparents in your church to come alongside the parents? Different role, same goal. Are you equipping grandparents to be involved in family life in a way that would honor Christ and help the family? And so very few churches have given much thought to equipping grandparents. And uh, I'm on a mission as not only someone who loves being a grandfather who's written on grandparenting, but as a pastor, 
I want to help other churches know better how to do this. Let me ask a couple of very um, maybe practical mm. uh, implications or situations and in, in how the principles might apply. Um, my parents uh, live in Fargo, North Dakota. Who knows why you'd want to live there, especially in February as we talk right now, but uh, 14 hours away. Um, and uh, they love our kids, uh, want to be engaged in their life, um, are you know, wonderful believers themselves, but there's a distance barrier, yes. um, and they don't get to see them but twice or three times a year. How does this play out um, for a grandparent who may be states hours away from their grandchildren? Yeah. It's interesting you ask that question, Drew. I read a statistic, and I'm trying to remember exactly what it is, but it's something, I'm pretty close here, close to half of the grandparents in North America have at least one grandchild that lives 200 miles away or farther. And so it's a real common phenomenon in our mobile society to not live near grandkids. And I think some grandparents live in that reality of being long distance and feel like, well, I guess I'm not going to be that involved with my grandkids. And I want to lovingly push back and say, oh, there's a lot you can do. And so what I encourage long-distance grandparents to think about are, are three different issues. Could you go to them? Now, one of the advantages that many of us in my generation are facing is we have more time available, uh, either retired or semi-retired. We have more money available. Our child-rearing years are behind us. So do you have the time and money that you could go to them? Uh, we have some friends in the Christian grandparenting movement who all of their grandkids live at least a flight away, not driving distance. But they have determined, budgeted the time and money to fly to visit each grandchild on his or her birthday. Mm -hmm. Now, not everyone can do that. This couple can. But when they told us they do that, I thought, that is an investment. And their grandkids are growing up knowing that grandpa and grandma come to see me every birthday, even though it costs them hundreds of dollars and days of time. Or can you invite them to you? Can you invite the grandkids to come to you? Holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas are popular. Why not take a family vacation together in the summer? Or have a grand camp. <laughs> it's a great memory maker. But then something else in our day, almost all grandparents could do, is video calls. Um, four of our grandkids live in Michigan. We live here in Winona Lake area. Every Tuesday afternoon at 1.30, Gladine and I have a Bible study with two of those four grandkids, the ones that are old enough to read. And we've done this for two years. Uh, the kids know that 1.30 on Tuesday, Papa and Grandma are going to call. And uh, we've had a one, we just did it a few days ago. Uh, we've enjoyed very much walking through the Bible in a very personal way, praying with them individually. We get a half hour with each of them. And um, it really builds relationally. And it's very intentional in pointing those grandkids toward Christ. So I just want to encourage long-distance grandparents, don't give up too quickly. Mm. Look for opportunities. And even if your grandkids are on the other side of the world, if they have an Internet connection and you have an Internet connection, you can talk to them, you can see them, and make regular calls that way. There's always other ways, too, just text messages, especially with teenage grandkids. Landmail letters, remember those? Uh, Not really. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's plenty you can do. So even long-distance grandparents can still be very involved and very intentional. Hmm. Well, okay. Let's. Uh, uh, I also want to ask about um, not just working with 
grandkids, but parents, right? Yes. Because um, some grandparents may have uh, kids who either are not following Christ or at least their their faith is not mature, um, and yet they want to invest in grandkids. No. And um, there can be friction with parents. Or at least tension, yeah. Or tension, yeah. So, so t- how do you uh, navigate or what are principles to navigate that parent relationship as you work to intentionally invest in Mm -hmm. grandkids. Gladian and I personally have a wonderful relationship with all of our kids and kids-in-law, so this isn't our situation, thankfully. But I've talked to grandparents who've been told by their kids, we don't want you talking to our kids about spiritual things. We don't want you teaching our kids about God. That's really sad. And yet I think it's grandparents, we need to realize that the parents do have primary responsibilities for those kids. And so we don't want to um, overstep our bounds and cause more problems. So what I encourage the older generation to do in those contexts is love your kids, love your, your kids-in-law well. They're individuals. They're not, just, they're not only the parents of your grandkids. They're individuals that you should love for the sake of Christ. And so to develop a loving relationship with maybe that unconverted son or daughter, son-in-law, daughter-in-law, remembering birthdays, remembering anniversary, just calling and not even talking about the grandkids for a while. Just call and say, how you doing? How's that new job going? You told me you were struggling with this or that. How can I help? And, and to build that loving relationship with the, the middle generation for God's glory and their good. But I think even in those situations, even if grandparents are kind of blocked spiritually, we can still model Christ. You know, we can still exude the benefits of the gospel in our lives that should pique the interest of our grandkids if they want to know why we're different. And I think over time, oh, and obviously, too, we want to just saturate that whole thing in prayer. But in those contexts, to see what God will do over time, he might open up some doors that we didn't see opening. And uh, we should be people of hope and faith. That's helpful. Thank you. Um, you mentioned holidays earlier, and I think um, you know that's often a time when families are together. Um, not always intentional, maybe, with our time together. No. We're just there. Uh, talk to me about some ways you guys use, you know, Christmas or Easter or Thanksgiving, whenever it is that your family, you know, gets together for a few days together to be intentional about that relationship and about pointing your, your kids and grandkids to Christ. Yeah. I'm blessed with a wife who's very intentional as a grandmother, <laughs> and she's always feeding me ideas and conversationally discussing ideas we could do. But for instance, at Christmas time, Um, We often have out-of-state kids and grandkids with us in our home. Um, And so, you know, I'll ask the dad in the family, are you going to have devotions with your kids tonight, or could I? Would you like me to? Uh, But we always try to have a devotional time at bedtime with the grandkids, with either the father or the grandfather leading, or we could take turns, prayer time. But then on that particular holiday, we'll always try to bring the Bible to bear so reading, you know, the uh, Christmas account from Luke 2 or Matthew 1 uh, when the grandkids are with us. We got younger grandkids that love doing productions. <laughs> um, 
And so we'll often have the kids do a play, and Gladian and I will maybe research online possible plays for this age bracket of kids, maybe tweak it to fit our grandkids. Uh, we've actually gone out and bought like shepherd costumes, <laughs> wise men costumes, things like that. And so uh, we'll put on a play almost every Christmas. And if the kids get older, and we do have some older grandkids that are kind of outgrowing that, we'll have them be narrators, we'll get their input. Um, I've been a wise man. I've been a donkey. Don't go take that too far. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but Easter time we'll do something similar, uh, where we'll we'll uh, maybe you know have a reenactment of the resurrection. Uh, kids and I have built a stone that rolls away. I mean, we've done all kind of stuff. I mean, out of cardboard. <laughs> and and that that uh that parlays into something I want to ask about too, which is fun, right? Like it, it's it's uh there's aspects of building a stone that rolls away together that would be a blast right um any any fun ideas or um particularly uh, exciting or things you guys have done that is like that one was really fun um i i recommend this one to all grandparents try this out it was a blast yeah i think when you ask that question one thing that came to my mind immediately is our annual obstacle course for grand camp (laughs) And we weren't intending this to be a repeated phenomenon, but it is at the grandkids' request that a few years ago for Grand Camp, our theme was Wise Up. And we used Marty Machowski's book, Wise Up, which is on the Proverbs. And so many of the Proverbs have to do with listening to wisdom, to turn a deaf ear to the voice of folly, foolishness. And so we did an obstacle course in the backyard. Each of the grandkids takes a turn to be blindfolded, and then they have to make it to the obstacle course blindfolded, listening to the voice of wisdom, which in our case, ironically, is my voice. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they have to listen to Papa's voice. In the meantime, their siblings and cousins are shouting at them to do something different than what I'm saying. So there's this cacophony of the voice of folly, And one voice, the voice of wisdom. So to make it through the obstacle course successfully, they have to listen to Papa saying, step up, turn left, crawl through, whatever, and turn a deaf ear to the voice of folly. The grandkids have gotten so into the obstacle course, they want to plan it now. They're the ones that lay it out. And it's an annual tradition in our family in the summertime to go out in the backyard. You could do it inside, too. But we do it in the backyard, and that's just a great learning opportunity for the grandkids. Mm. I, I love that um, bringing together biblical truth and fun yeah. um, in a way that is going to be memorable um, to your grandkids. When they think of wisdom, they're going to think of the obstacle course. Yes. Um, and in the midst of whatever they face in life, that's going to come back to them at some point in some way. Um, because it wasn't just preaching at them. It was also uh, a very real example of, of what this could look like or how this looks like. Yes. Um, truth applied um, to an obstacle course. Well said. So truth I, applied. I, I, I really think that's a, a neat way to do it. And um, I I'm so appreciate how creative you and Gladine are um, in the ways that you express truth to your kids and grandparents is it's just amazing Hmm. thank you so i have to ask one um one question uh that uh my parents told me about they said um if they knew this grandparenting thing was going to be so fun they would have just skipped the parenting part is that (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I've heard that one uh, more than once. I've probably said that before. <laughs> but you still love the parenting part too, right? And that's I what's sure great do. about this. All these principles apply to parenting as well. Yes. And Drew, your comment there about how much we love being grandparents, when I get out there and speak on this subject, I don't think I've met a grandparent yet who doesn't love being a grandparent. But think about it. Of all those people that love being grandparents, how few have had any training in mm. grandparenting. And so you, you heard that uh, love of grandparenting. Now let's see what we can do to serve those grandparents by giving them some training. Well, speaking of that, what is the best way to connect with you? Where can they get your book? Um, where can they find where you may be speaking or talking about the mm -hmm. topic of grandparenting? Yeah, the book's available on most Christian book distributors, um, Amazon, of course is the biggest <laughs> by far. Uh, but you can actually get it from the publisher at a pretty good price. Uh, it's New Growth Press. And New Growth Press gives quantity discounts. So if you want to go through the book with another group of grandparents or maybe a class at your church, uh, they're very generous with their quantity discounts. So I try to steer people to New Growth if they're interested in doing this with some other grandparents. Um, as far as my speaking goes, I have a website. It's Walking Like Jesus Ministries, WLJministries.org. And um, I don't know that the current schedule is up there right now. We just lost our guy that was doing a lot of our webmastering things, but uh, we'll try to get it updated. But it gives the email address and stuff. People can contact me directly. But I enjoy speaking on this. I'm heading out Saturday to go to uh, Detroit area to speak on grandparenting. So it's a delight to serve this way. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Drew. And thanks for listening to the Grace Story podcast. Music was written and produced by Dr. Wally Brath, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts at Grace College. Thanks to our co-producers, Andrew Palladino and Rick Neer. And if you can do us a huge favor and rate, comment, or share this podcast from wherever you retrieved it from, we'd be so grateful. Until next time, live your best Grace Story today.